Okay, I think we're live now. So, welcome everybody. Um, as you know, my name's Indranuja Das. I'm a. Uh, I'm going to be giving a, the second of these classes called Transitions on the Journey of the Devotee. Uh, this class today is about Narada Muni. Um, I've become inspired in different ways by different classes Guru Maharaj has given over the years. He gave a series of classes on this particular part of the Bhagavatam called the, the Narada Bhagavatam, which is really a Narada's instructions to Vyasadeva. And within that, within his instructions, he actually gives his, a little bit of his bio, uh, you know, how he became Narada Muni. And actually, the life of Narada Muni has two, actually it's two or three parts, but it actually starts in the seventh canto, where Narada Muni is actually instructing um, Yudhisthira Maharaj. And there's some very interesting parts to that. And I'm just going to very briefly describe it. Right away, he, he, Yudhisthira asked him about what happened to Sishupal? How come Sishupal merged with Krishna's body? And then that leads to a whole discussion about how Jai and Vijay fell down from Vaikuntha. And I say fell down in quotation marks. They didn't actually fall down. This is part of, of course, uh, Krishna's Leela or Narayan's Leela at that point. So he wanted to experience, the, you know, chivalrous, a fight, you know, with the, and the only people that could really fight him were his devotees. So it's kind of like a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a, you know, confusing maybe to some devotees that, but in any case, so he starts to describe that and in describing that, that brings up the whole Nisringa Leela. And at the end of the Nisringa Leela, he describes that he was a Gandharva. And he was, uh, I'm going to just read a little something here. Um, Prabhupada states, one may actually become successful in spiritual consciousness by the mercy of devotees, or one may fall from spiritual consciousness by being disrespectful to devotees. Thus in the Srimad Bhagavatam seventh canto, Narada Muni explains who he was before receiving the mercy of some sages. And it's described that long, long ago, Narada Muni existed as a Gandharva known as Upabharana, with his beautiful face, pleasing, attractive bodily structure, and decorations of flower garlands and sandalwood pulp. He was most pleasing to the women in his city, and thus he was bewildered, always feeling lusty desires. Once there was a Sankirtan festival to glorify the Supreme Lord in the assembly of demigods, and the Gandharvas and Apsaras were invited by the Prajapatis to take part in it. At the festival, Upabarna, surrounded by lusty women, began singing ordinary songs. Because of this, uh, he committed an offense. So the, the, uh, the demigods, they actually cursed him at that point. And they said, because you've committed this offense, you must immediately become a sudra, devoid of beauty. Boom, first huge transition. So 
So Upa Barna became this the son of a maidservant. We don't even know what his name was. It's really not that relevant. But as a son of a maidservant, he, was, he had a very, very lowly birth to the point where he didn't even know who his father was. He was actually, he actually lived in a little hut with his mother. And at one point, by Krishna's mercy, and this is where it kind of gets interesting, some sages turn up. And uh, and they are sheltering because it's Chaturmasya. So that four months is the rainy season. So the sages tend to just hole up somewhere. So they 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 go and they find this this uh, this residence where the where his mother is staying. So the mother serves these sages, and in the course of serving the sages, of course Narada Muni gets to serve them too. Now he's a little boy; he's like four four or five years old at this time. So you can imagine this tiny little kid running around with these great sages. And what are the sages doing? Harikata. You know, they're getting into this whole Harikata, you know, and they're talking about Krishna specifically. And Narada Muni, as this tiny little boy, starts to listen. So that's the first thing that happens. The second thing that happens is they give him some remnants of their food, prasadam, you know, their maha maha, the food that they have, they give him some of theirs. That completely changes Narada Muni, setting huge transition for Narada Muni. Narada Muni now becomes very devoted to these. And from a seemingly really bad situation, now we can see it's a really good situation. In reality, um, there are no bad situations in this material world. There's just a way of looking at these situations. And I've, don't get me wrong, I know like Ukraine, there's bad, there's bad stuff going on, you know, don't get me wrong, I know that. But really, if you were Krishna conscious, you could see it as an opportunity somehow or another, you know, and there's the voice there preaching and distributing prasadam and doing different things. And somehow or another, Krishna's mercy still exists, even in hellish situations, you know. So similarly with the, he, he was in this seemingly really bad situation. And, and yet he somehow or another, through maybe previous association, but still, he somehow or another got the mercy of these great sages. So these great sages then after four months, they leave, right? Um, but what happens? Uh, so Narada Muni's film bereft, this little boy is feeling completely bereft. His mother goes out to milk their cow and boom, she gets bitten by a snake and dies. So again, this little boy is on his own and he thinks, well, what should I do? He takes her to, somehow or another, he takes her to the little shack. He burns the shack, cremates her in the shack and takes off. He leaves that world behind and decides He's going to find Krishna somehow or another. And it's, it's, again, it's an interesting state of mind. If you think of it, even a five-year-old on his own in the middle of a jungle can somehow or another do it. So what does he do? He goes to, he starts heading north. And as he's heading north, he gets, uh, he, he, he just goes through different towns and villages he, uh, he eventually finds this, this uh, beautiful forest, and in the middle of the forest, there's a banyan tree. And then uh, and underneath the banyan tree, he sits down. And what does he do? 
he meditates on the Lord. And the Lord appears to him in his heart. Here's your next transition. And, and when I say he appears to me in his heart, he actually sees him. It's not like he just imagines that form. Krishna is there in his heart. He sees the Lord. And he is immediately entranced by the Lord. He opens his eyes because he's in deep meditation. He opens his eyes and the Lord disappears. But he speaks to him. The Lord speaks to him. And he tells him that, no worries, you won't see me again now, but you'll also never forget me. And even in your next life, you'll remember this. So Narada Muni then, as this little boy, practices austerities, meditations. And at the end of the millennium, it says, let me just check this. So it says, O Muni, in the, last, in the last millennium, I was born as the son of a certain maidservant engaged in the service of Brahmins who were following the principles of Vedanta. When they were living together during the four months of the rainy season, I was engaged in their personal service. So this is me quoting directly from the Bhagavatam. Although they were impartial by nature, those followers of the Vedanta blessed me with their causeless mercy. As far as I was concerned, I was self-controlled and had no attachment for sports, even though I was a boy. In addition, I was not naughty and I did not speak more than required. Once only by their permission, I took the remnants of their food and by so doing, all my sins at once were eradicated. Thus being engaged, I became purified in heart. And at that time, the very nature of the, trans of the transcendentalist became attractive to me. So that's, that's, that's his, that's Narada Muni explaining to Vyas what happened to him. He got this little bitty remnants of this food. All these sins went away. What happens when your sins go away? You're purified. That means that no longer do you have any lusty desires. You've got nothing to, you've got no karma to drive you forward at that point. And then he says, oh, Vyasadeva, in that association by the mercy of those great Vedantists, I could hear them describe the attractive activities of Lord Krishna. And thus listening attentively, my taste for hearing of the personality of God had increased at every step. You know, it's worth noting that he became purified by one thing, by Shravanam, by hearing. That's why it starts with Shravanam. We can't actually, we can't do Kirtanam until we do Shravanam. And, and that's a, it's a very important point that. It's very important to hear from the great souls very important to constantly hear so that we can have more and more faith, so that when our chanting becomes purer and purer. Very important. And then he says, oh great sage, as soon as I got a taste of the personality of Godhead, my attention to hear of the Lord was unflinching. As my taste developed, I could realize that it was only my ignorance, that it was only in my ignorance that I had accepted gross and subtle covering for both the Lord and I are transcendental. So it's kind of interesting. Prabhupada makes a point that um, the process is, is, is realization of Krishna and realization of the self. And it's a simultaneous thing that we do, you know, the first part of Bhagavad Gita is about self-realization. The second part is about God realization, about Krishna realization. 
but but they're actually simultaneous in Krishna consciousness you actually become you realize who you are and you realize who Krishna is and you realize who you are in relation to Krishna and gradually through that as we'll read in this story you develop your sort of you develop who you are eternally eventually um, so he became just deeply in love with Krishna at this point. He's deeply in love. So he, he goes to the forest and, and, then, and then Krishna tells him, he sees the Lord and, and then Krishna tells him, I regret that during this lifetime, you will not be able to see me anymore. However, however, in the neck, you'll never forget me either. It, then it describes that even at the time of annihilation, I wouldn't forget. And then it describes, so wandering all over the earth, constantly chanting the Lord's holy name, that great personality met death as lightning and illumination happened simultaneously. Can you imagine? He, he met death just as a, just like that. It was like, boom, gone, you know? So that was that that's now he's now he's got rid of that body. No longer does he have the little boy's body. He was given a transcendental body. And then an amazing thing happens. At the end of Brahma's day, it describes he was taken back into the body of Mahavishnu. And then he, when he came out, he had the swarup he has now, the swarup of Narada Muni, the most intense transition ever, you know. And can you imagine he was actually allowed to see that? He was actually given the blessing that he would never forget anything at that point, you know? So it's, it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting, um, very interesting description this of who Narada Muni is and what his, what his, uh, what his role is. So he's described as a transcendental spaceman. He wanders all over the universe, all over the universes and he can go to Vaikuntha, he can go to Galok, but he, he's always, he's always, he always wants Krishna to appear. So he's always rushing things along a little bit, you know, just like when, when he, uh, when Krishna was born in his Prakatlila. So he went to, he went to uh, Kamsa and he tells Kamsa, you know, because Kamsa was being a little, you know, he wasn't, he had, he decided that he'd killed the first son, but he wasn't going to kill anymore. So along comes Narada, and all our devotees wonder, why was Narada doing this? That seems kind of mean, you know. But the truth of the matter is, he wanted Krishna to get on with his pastimes, you know. So he told, he told Kamsa, he says, Kamsa, you're neglecting this, you know. So then Kamsa got really mean and he started killing all the sons of uh, Vasudev. And then um, he started sending demons to Vrindavan to kill Krishna. And then Nardamani is constantly turning up. He's just, he's always there in all the different pastimes. He's, he just, he's this, uh, he's this very strange fellow. And then when you actually, later on, it actually describes who Nardamani is. He's actually an expansion of Madhu Mangal. So Madhu Mangal's in Krishna's pastimes. He's the Brahmin who takes care of the puja at, uh, at the house of Krishna, Yashoda Nandan. 
than the Maharaji's house, you know. So he worshipped Dev there, interestingly enough. And it's interesting that Narada Muni uh, tells Yudhisthira about Nishrayadev, you know, and the whole Prahlad, Prahlad Charit, you know. That's, that's, his, that's the whole seventh canto. In fact, it's interesting that in the seventh canto, that is the most, um, other than Krishna, Lord Nisringadev's pastimes are more extensively described than any other avatar in the whole Bhagavatam. Very, very interesting. And Lord Chaitanya loved those pastimes. In fact, um, Srivast Thakur is considered another expansion of uh, Marumangal, and he worshipped uh, in Srivasangam, Nishrigadev. <laughs> so Nishrigadev is a very important uh, aspect of Krishna. He's Keshava. He's got long, beautiful black hair. Um, yeah, so very interesting. He's also, another point about Narada Muni is you can remember all his births. He has, uh, he has this recall, constant recall, uh, constantly turns up in the Bhagavatam. He's always, he's always uh, explaining different things to different people. And he has a very interesting story. And I think the, I think the idea, you know, when I first started this again, the idea was to try and explain what the, why these things were relevant. You know, like last week, Krishna Das Kaviraj, you know, when he met Miniket and Ram Das. I mean, it was for him a huge change. Now, think about it, you know, Narada Muni meets these sages and they make him a devotee. You can't become a devotee without the mercy of the devotees. Just like when Padman Abhiswami was here, we were talking about his book, Inherent or Inherited. It's a very interesting book, and I thoroughly recommend it. If you haven't got it already, get it and read it. But, but it brings up this point about, is Krishna consciousness within us? Is it just kind of lying dormant? Or does it need something to get it going, you know? So that's the, that's the point, you know? It's a, it, it is a, you know, Krishna consciousness is a blessing. It comes from, Bhakti Devi comes to, to us, you know. She comes and blesses us with service. And service is a very rare thing. It's not given to everybody. It's given to those few souls who are qualified to receive the blessings. And what's the qualification? The qualification is that somehow or another you've met someone who blessed you who actually gave you the opportunity to engage in devotional service. So these stories, these transitions, these are your transitions also, you know, just like Arjuna and, and Bhagavad Gita. I always like to think this, Arjuna is every man. He's every single person who's ever gone there had that existential crisis and then realized that it was hopeless. He had no chance of getting out of this world, except by mercy. Now he's fortunate, he can talk to Krishna. But remember, put yourself in his shoes. That's the idea of Bhagavad Gita. You are Arjuna, you're there, read it like that, and then you understand it as he understood it. And therefore you get the mercy. Every single one of us is Arjuna in that sense. 
we are all um, craving the mercy of Krishna. And how does that mercy get distributed? Through the guru, just like, again, going back to Narada Muni. So Narada Muni discovered Vyasadeva and his hermitage. And when you read that part of the Bhagavatam, you can actually, you can actually see what had happened. Vyasadeva had just spent eons compiling the Vedas. He had, and remember, he's the compiler of the Vedas. He didn't write the Vedas. The Vedas existed. But he decided, you know, these needed to be written down. So he invented Sanskrit. Essentially, he, he decided, because Kali Yuga is coming, this all needs to be written down so that in the future, people will be able to see this because Mandasumandamata, they've got lousy memories and they're just, people in Kali Yuga are really unfortunate. They're just pathetically unfortunate. They'll never be able to remember everything. Whereas he remembered everything. He remembered the whole Vedas. And think about what that means. The Vedas are vast. They are vast. They're just, just innumerable. So he, he had them all written down, and then he had all the Upanishads written down, and then he wrote Vedanta Sutra. Okay, so he thinks, all right, so I'm going to make a summary, and I'm going to put it in short form so that anybody can understand it. Aha, right. So if you've ever read Vedanta Sutra, you'll see how easy that is to understand. Even with the commentaries, it's still complicated. So he wrote all that down, and now he's finished, right? Now, take note, he'd also written the Bhagavad Purana. That was one of the Puranas. So he'd written the, the uh, Vedas, the Upanishads, and the Puranas. And they were all written down, and they were all given to different people. Ramaharshana Sutta actually had the the Puranas. So he's sitting in his ashram and he's feeling quite blown out, quite depressed. And he's thinking, what's wrong with me? Along comes Narada Muni. Here's an interesting transition. So Narada Muni says, you know, you did great. Well done. However, you missed the point completely. It's like, it's like, you know, here you are, you've done all this stuff. But what's the point of all this stuff? What's the summum bonum? That was the reason he explained his story to him. Because he explained to him that you missed the point. Who, wh where is the glorification of the personality of Godhead and all this? Where is Krishna's story specifically? Now, it's interesting that his son, Sutta, uh, Sukadev Goswami, Sukadev Goswami had, he was another interesting character. He had spent 16 years in, in, uh, in, in his mother's womb. Even Krishna had come along and, and spoke to him. He said, I think it's time to come out. But he was, he was Amaram. He was like completely self-satisfied. Hey, if I stay here or if I go there, it's all the same. Doesn't make any difference to me. But then he came out of his mother's womb and immediately naked, ran into the forest and just sat under a tree. He's at Maram. He's, he, he's, he's, he is uh, self-realized. However, he isn't Krishna realized at this point. He's only self-realized. Okay. So, so, uh, so his father, Vyasadeva, sends a woodcutter out and he tells him, sing these verses from, from the Bhagavatam. And, there, and then 
Suta Goswami hears the verses and comes back. And then, of course, time passes, but then Parikshit Maharaj gets cursed to die. Sukadev Goswami is wandering naked through the through the, the entire you know, India, and he comes through the forest and don't, there's all these sages, he just pops out there, and everybody stands up. They see him, they see him, they all stand up, they say, Hey, Sukadev Goswami's here. He should he should answer your questions, uh, Parikshit Maharaj. So he sits down in front of Parikshit Maharaj and speaks the Bhagavatam. Now, the Bhagavatam is spoken by Sukadev Goswami. Who's in the audience? His father's in the audience. When Narada Muni comes to speak to his father, his father remembers his son's story. He sits down in meditation, and in this divine meditation, everything comes out. And he writes that whole, he writes the beautiful Bhagavatam down. Now, this is not the Bhagavat Purana. This is Srimad Bhagavatam. This supersedes the Bhagavat Purana, you see. So here you are. He's, he's, he's now spoken this incredible tome, this, this, uh, this story that starts and finishes with Krishna. The whole story. And it's said that, you know, when it first starts, of course, it starts with Sutta Goswami. Sutta Goswami was there also. It's all tied together. So Sutta Goswami was the son of Ramaharshana. Remember I told you about Ramaharshana? He was, he was, he was deputized by the sages of Nami Sharanya to speak on the Puranas. For a thousand years, he was supposed to speak. Along comes Balaram and kills him. <laughs> so... Balaram, by his causeless mercy, killed him with a blade of grass, kusha grass. He just killed him because he was disrespectful. And he was, he was kind of puffed up. What does that say? That basically says he wasn't qualified to speak the Bhagavatam. He can speak the Puranas, but the Bhagavatam is a whole other thing. So what does, what does, what does uh, Balaram do? He says, all right, well, since his son is the same as the father... I'm going to make the son the speaker of the Bhagavatam. So he becomes now the uh, in charge of that, that assembly of sages. And so this beginning of the Bhagavatam, you have the sages asking questions of Sutta Goswami, who had just heard Sukadev Goswami speak the Bhagavatam. And he, he, he tells them this whole story about that. Of course, before he tells him that, there's a kind of a history he has to get together, you know, and that's a history of Pariksit Maharaj and all the transitions that happen there. So here you have, you know, it, it literally starts with Narada and Vyas and Vyas's deep meditation, seeing the Bhagavatam in front of him, and then it's it, writing the Bhagavatam down, right? And then um, the sages are, are further asking questions. So, you know, how did Parikshit Maharaj end up there? You know, this is a great king. You know, how did they end up there? So then it explains the Bala Kurikshetra. It explains Ashvatthama killing the five sons of Draupadi and then trying to kill um, Pariksha in the womb of Uttara. And then um, the Lord saving Pariksha and then Pariksha being cursed by the Brahmin boy 
the uh, to die in seven days, and he accepting the curse, and then going to the bank of the of the Ganges and sitting down and asking the question, "What should a man hear at the time of death?" You know, and again, these are all stories for us. You know, what should we hear at the time of death? You know, death is there. I mean, I feel it. <laughs> it's interesting. I feel it more and more every minute. You know. You know, I've been I've been in this body a long time, or relatively speaking. But then again, I've also been a devotee a number of years, so it's kind of like it gives me it gives me hope that somehow or another, um, maybe there'll be hope at the time of my passing that by all your mercy, I can uh, I can you know at least in my next life make progress. So we're all you know. That, that is the, the the purpose of Krishna consciousness. The it's not. It's like George Harrison said. He wrote a song. He, he called it "The Art of Dying." That's what Krishna consciousness is. It's the art of dying. It's not how we live. It's how we die. Because how we live will determine how we die. You see. So, you know, boys like Narada Muni, they're there to teach us how to die, how to leave this body, the art of dying. And it's interesting how Pujapad Sridhar Maharaj, he used to coin this phrase, which was from uh, some European philosopher, but he would say, die to live. Because every transition that we go through is actually a mini death. That's the idea of it, you see. So we are all in the process of dying, but we should take every single, every realization as the death of our ego. Is, is one more chipping away at that ego. What is that ego that we, that we possess? The idea that I am this or I am that, you know, I'm white, Scottish, even devotee, you know, if we think in terms of my body that, you know, I'm this Brahmin or something like that, then that's just false ego. Really who we are is, you know, dasa, dasa, anudasa. There has to be, there has to be humility. There has to be deep dynia. This idea that that you know we're truly insignificant, and then that will lead to a much greater realization than any number of books we ever read, or any number of verses that we ever remember, or any number of things that we achieve, so-called things that we achieve in this life. This life is only meant for one thing. It's only meant for service. And what service do we do? Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smanam, Parasevanam, Archanam, Vannam, Dasham, Sakyam, Atmanivedanam. The nine processes, just take any one of them, you can be perfect, right? So what are we given? Shravanam, hearing, Kirtanam, chanting. These two are the most important, especially in our neophyte stage. Every day we should dedicate ourselves to chanting and hearing. Every day. And every day we should make ourselves think, what will I achieve today? What is it that I can achieve today? What service can I do? Just like every day I... Uh, we worship our deities here. We have for many, many years. 
<clears throat> and I get the great privilege of putting the deities to rest. So my wife wakes them up, bathes them every morning, and then in the evening, I'll make an offering, sometimes at least, sometimes she'll make the offering, but then we'll make the offering, take it to the deities. And every time I do this, I always think, Brajanathan Haladar, Nitai Garanga, please accept this. Just somehow or another, give me the humility to make this offering, to really try and make some kind of progress through all my layers and layers of false egos. In any case, you know, that's, that's what we should do. We should somehow or another every day dedicate ourselves and then rededicate ourselves. Otherwise, Krishna consciousness can become mundane. It can actually become just like a religious duty that we perform. It's way beyond that. It has to be way beyond that. So we have to feel just this depth. We have to go beyond where we're at right now to some other place. And we only do that through service. In fact, the only thing Krishna gives us is service. There's nothing else we get. We only get service. And, um, you know, so even if you make millions of dollars and you don't spend it in service, it's kind of worthless. Truly, it's worthless. And when you get to my age, you'll kind of realize that. You'll kind of say, okay. But still, we should always be planning to do something more, something more, something more. So anyway, I don't want to, I don't want to extend this too long. I wanted to just, Kind of, um, I heard I heard years ago that a good class is about twenty to forty minutes long, and then it's always nice to have a few questions. If anybody has questions, you know, that would be a good thing. So, so let me see. Is there anything in there? Pranam, Indranurja Prabhu, Hari Bo. Ramananda here. Oh, thank you. So I, I became curious about your deities. And um, do you want to tell the story of how they came to your house? And sure. We have we have uh, um, three sets of deities. So the first deities are Nitai Garanga. They're small Gornitai deities. And in 1985, we were staying at. Uh, I was serving Devasadan Mandir in Detroit and my daughter had just been born and my son was a year and a half old, my eldest son. And, uh, you know, having little kids in the house, it was kind of difficult to get to the temple all the time. So, so we decided to buy a little set of deities just so that the kids would be able to worship the deities in the house. So we've been worshiping the Tigeranga since 1985. And then about, I'm going to say about 12 years ago, a friend, a godbrother um, of mine happened to be staying at my house and he worshipped uh, Shalagram Sheila. He, he had a bunch of Shalagrams. And um, he, he offered to give us a Shalagram, this beautiful Shalagram Sheila. And my wife was Kind of hesitant because she was worried that it's a bit, it's a huge commitment, you know. Shalagram's a big commitment, so she said, "Well, um, 
I don't think I don't think I want to do it now. But anyway, he came back a few times. He was coming back and forth to Kansas quite a lot at that time. And he, uh, in any case, at one point, she said, "All right, okay, I'll take, I'll take." And the plan was that she was going to worship him as Krishna, Rajana. So he said, "Okay, I'm going to send him FedEx from Arizona." <laughs> so. So um, weeks went past and nothing happened. So we called him up, we said, oh, what happened? He says, oh yeah, I was going to send them, but I just dropped them in the mail instead. So, so on Ecology, one Friday, along comes this beautiful Shalagram Sheila named Rajanath to our house. So we had a big festival. We just decided, even though it was a college, we cooked a huge feast and invited all the Basis. We were in a little community called Bhaktivan. So everybody came and we all celebrated. And then I had a, there was a devotee living with me um, who had a, another shalagram. But this was a, a, a shalagram of uh, an antidote. And he gave us that shalagram. So then we had two shalagrams, one of Krishna and one of uh, Balaram. So we called, so we now had Krishna and Balaram. <laughs> it was kind of interesting. So we, we got a little, if I, I could, well, you know, do you want to go for a walk, guys? I'll take you to the temple. How's that? Sound good? And then you can see the deities. And then we got another friend of mine had a Nisringadev deity, and he left to go back to Europe, and he asked us to take care of him. So we now have Nisringadev also. It's kind of nice. I've always liked the worship of Nisringadev. I always felt very comfortable with him. Okay, let's see. So I'm walking up the stairs to my temple room. This is my temple room. You can see there, you can see outside is a... Uh, the weather's quite nice now, so that's Halsey Davy. And then this is my altar. So. Wow. Just to show you. So we have nice Parampara, and there's Nisringa Dave. This is Brajanath and Haladar. I can't really see if you can see it properly, but oh yeah, there you are. Brajanath yeah, and Haladar. And there. Natagaranga. Oh, very beautiful. They've just been bathed this morning. Every the Brajanath and Haladar gets bathed every morning, but the rest of the deities get bathed once a week. So they all get very Aye. nice and shiny. And there's a parampara. There's Gurmaj. I like these pictures. These, these pictures were actually painted for me by a devotee in England. Pictures of the Parampara, so thanks. Anyway, so yeah, I feel very fortunate. I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually walk onto the deck just to show you how beautiful Back to Van is. This is our, this is our backyard. Ah, nice. We've got our cows over in the field there. I'm just putting a new garden in, uh, raised beds. So I'm in the middle of doing that. Anyway.
That's weird. That's weird. Are there cows from Audaria still there and alive? Yes. Oh, yes. We have three cows from Audaria. Um, uh, Adboot is our little bull. Oh, yes. Raga. Remember Raga? Oh, yes. Ditsy Redhead. Yep. And Nandini. Wow. And then we had we had Dharma and Bumi, but they passed away. Yeah. They, they were, were quite old. old. Yeah. Yeah. They were quite old. So yeah, that was that's that's our that's our uh, that's our place. If anybody is ever this way, please come visit. We have a beautiful place. We have about three miles of trails because all over the property. And, the, and we have a nice river runs through the property also. Half the property is wooded and the other half is grassland. We have uh, three of three of uh, Guru Maharaj's cows are here. And then actually four or five of Guru Maharaj's cows because he also gave us another two cows. Uh, Gunsies, one's a, a bull and the other one's uh, a cow. And she, uh, they, they live there. Next, uh, my neighbor Krishnadas is he has four cows in his field, and I have three cows in my field. So it's okay. very nice. Yeah, <clears throat> we hope to come someday. Oh, I'd love, love to host you. So you just come whenever you like, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, we it's, it's kind of like you know, where we are, statistically speaking, we are dead center in America. If you draw a line between Seattle. In Miami, LA, and New York, it would bisect right, right over back to Van. So we're kind of statistically the dead center of the country. So it's kind of easy to get to from any of the coasts or anywhere north, south, east, west. You know, quite nice. And we've been here twenty four years. Twenty four years built this house and just kind of hung out. You know, it's kind of unusual. Most of all, you don't stay places that long you know but somehow or another by christian's mercy we got to stay here you know and develop this beautiful property and just yeah it's lovely so well amazing deities thank you for the tour well That's thank wonderful. you for yeah yeah it's, it's kind of unusual isn't it i mean it's like <laughs> i thought well what the heck you asked about the deities we'll take darshan you know mm -hmm. Nice, Thank you. nice. They're very merciful. Our deities are very kind, very merciful. I, I don't know if you were you did you watch any of Padman Abbas classes when he was here? Yes, all of them. <laughs> okay, so that was in the temple room. Yeah. All his classes were in the temple room. I, I finally made that connection. <laughs> <laughs> and I also I wanted to um thank you for the class and there's just three things that really stuck out to me. Is, is that okay to go ahead? Yeah. Absolutely. Please do. Okay. I'd love that. So I like what you said about um, the transitions that we go through is like a death of kind of an aspect of our ego. Right. I really like that. I also um, liked what you said about um, dedicate and rededicate ourselves to our, our process to, to Krishna, you know, every day, sometimes every moment, you know, right. Um, that that really um, stood out to me and also that we are the servant of the servant of the servant right. and that you know service is um is what is our process is what right. we do it's all you get you don't get anything but service yeah so yeah. you know don't ever be reluctant if somebody asks you if the devotee asks you to do something just do it just mm -hmm. enthusiastically do it 
even if you're tired, even if you don't want it. I mean, I could tell you stories. I, I, I was, when I was, I was a brahmachari for six years and I served many different sannyasis in that time. And there was one time, this one particular sannyasi who had been serving for some time, asked me to drive him somewhere. And it was late at night and I'd been up since two in the morning. And I remember thinking, this is crazy. I, I, you know, this isn't safe. And he said, it'll be fine. Krishna will protect you. I just need to get to, you know, so I drove this to it and it was, everything was fine. But, you know, I think you just, I think you have to be sensible, of course, also. But, but I think if a devotee asks you to do something and you really feel that you have faith in that devotee, just grab it with both hands. Just take that, take the leap and try it. Of course, you've, you've also got to think of other, your, your circumstances and stuff, but still, you know, the only thing you're going to get in this life is service. So whatever, whatever you've got, whatever it takes to grab that service, grab it. Thank you. Um, also, you know, you were, we were talking about um, Veda Vyasa and how he wrote, it took 16 years to write the Srimad Bhagavatam and he still wasn't satisfied. Right. And, um, and how Nardic came and said, well, you missed, like you said, you missed the whole point. And so it just struck me how, wow, it, how can, could we do the same thing? It's like chant for 16 years and miss the whole point or, you know, <laughs> really, <laughs> I mean, it happens, right? It can, yeah, yeah. But how important it is to really be focused and, you know, being, um, hearing from the right sources and doing service and following, um, doing everything that's favorable for a Krishna consciousness and rejecting right. everything else. And so that um, that really made an impression on me too. <laughs> Just thinking well, about that. Don't forget the really important thing, sadhusanga. Mm -hmm. Yes. You need sadhusanga. You yeah. know, I mean, we we are we are tested by our association. That's the real point, you know. And it was, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a great story. So when, when Padmanabha Swami came here, I had met him just before that in North Carolina. So I'd heard him give class and all the rest, but I'd never met him before, right? So I met him in North Carolina. We really hit it off. We, I, he already had his ticket to come here and everything. So he came here and I was a little apprehensive because nobody knows him, you know? So we have a community here, maybe, maybe, you know, I think the biggest festival we ever had was about 120 devotees. And when Guru Maharaj came, he came a couple of times. I think, like, typically there were 30 or 40 devotees in the class, you know. So we have a decent-sized community. It's not tiny. Anyway, so um, so I was just, I was a little apprehensive. I didn't know who was going to come to his class. I told everybody. We have our own Facebook page. We advertised it. So the first couple of times, there was only maybe three or four people. And then that first weekend, uh, I think maybe 20 people showed up for the classes. But the second week was amazing. It was like, all of a sudden, every single Vasi here was just fired up. They were just like, everybody was thinking differently, you know? He had really, if you listen to them classes, you'll see what I mean. He really makes you think differently. You get out of your comfort zone and you start to question all your assumptions. 
this is the role of the sadhu. The sadhu makes you question your assumptions, makes you think, is this the right thing that I'm doing? You know, is this what I should be doing? <laughs> you know, all that stuff. And there were devotees here who had been, you know, really had fixed ideas, but certain things that I had never been able to change your mind about. He came and it was like, boom, we were just going, wow. So that's the power of the sadhu. If you ever get a chance, invite Padmanabha Swami to your place. <laughs> he, will, he will shake things up. Trust me, it will be a good thing. <laughs> I agree. He's um, such a great teacher. And um, when I first started listening to him, I definitely had a few transitions. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, thank you. You're a very fortunate soul. Well done. You, you as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very fortunate. I know. I, I wish I, I wish you could take advantage of it, but yeah, I, no doubt about that. Well, Prabhu's. If there's no other questions or no other um, points, you know, my last class will be next Friday. Now, I was, I think I'm planning to. Give it on Prabhupada. That was my thought, at least, to, to talk about Srila Prabhupada and just his transitions and, and even how his transitions affected me in so many ways, you know. So that's my plan. And by Krishna's mercy, maybe next week we will see you all again. I certainly hope so. Thank you very much for your kindness. Um, Panchakalpa Trubhishya Kripa Sindhu Bhai Vichya Petita Nam Pavani Vyavaishnavi Srimati Nagarja Prabhu Ki Jai Jai Haribo Thank you